Join me, if you would, in uh, the book of Ruth, the third chapter. Ruth chapter number three. Appreciate my son filling in last week. I believe he, I, I was blessed by his message. I got to watch it online and appreciated him filling in and doing that and uh, you guys encouraging him in, in that uh, process. Appreciate your prayers as well for me. Uh, while I was while I was away at classes and and uh, appreciate your continued prayers for me as I continue to finish up my program there and and uh, next January is the kind of the deadline the goal and so if you would keep me in your prayers that would really be helpful I would appreciate that um, <clears throat> we're halfway through the book of Ruth and we're entering into chapter number three. Uh, to see to see kind of the the story unfold, it, it gets kind of down to the to the nitty gritty where um, Ruth is now going to pursue this redemption that is really the theme of the book. This is the kind of the the beginning of the process of reaching that pinnacle of being married to Boaz, being set free from the bondage that she was in to loneliness. Uh, number of different things that, that Ruth experienced in her, in her journey through this book written about her that um, she experiences redemption from, deliverance from, as a result of getting married to Boaz. And um, the story of redemption that's seen in the book of Ruth, just to give you kind of a recap of what we've already addressed, chapter number one describes the need for redemption as we see a uh, backslidden Naomi, a, black, a backslidden slidden Christian, and an unworthy sinner in Ruth, somebody who is described very clearly as um, unworthy of grace, unworthy of, of the goodness of God, of, of those things. And um, pivotal, obviously, to our salvation is a recognition of our unworthiness, a realization and acknowledgement of the fact that whatever we, we receive from God that is good is built around an unmerited, undeserved favor. And whenever God shows us kindness, it's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've done something to earn it. But whenever God shows us kindness, it is because He decides to show us kindness. It, it is really built around His character more than it is built around our actions. So there's nothing that we can do to merit God's favor. At the same time, we serve a God that is a favorable God. And we serve a gracious and merciful God who, who um, finds pleasure in displaying His mercy and His grace. And so the interesting thing is, is when you find yourself not in the favor of God or you find yourself in in situations or circumstances in life where it seems like God's hand has been removed from you, the answer to that, to that dilemma is not to do more works. The answer to that dilemma is not to become a better person or to seek that favor through merit. The answer to that dilemma is to, is to get on your face before God and to ask Him for the favor that He desires to show. That's why James tells us we have not because we don't do enough works to merit it, right? Is that the same James in your Bible? It's not the same James in my Bible either. He says we have not because we do not ask. 
We do not we do not recognize our unworthiness and then and then and then um, plead with God, uh, approach God, address God in such a way as to desire from Him the grace and the mercy that He desires to show. That is a part of His character. So, chapter number one is built around this the beginning of this journey as Naomi backslides and, and goes to Moab. She meets this Moabite woman, a few of them, and um, we see the really the, the the sinfulness and the unworthiness of these uh, women, these people for redemption. The second chapter, we see the worthy redeemer. We have Boaz described in great detail as to why he is so worthy of a person's dependence of a person's faith. We see his care, we see his protection, we see his provision, we see Boaz's character put on display so that when it comes time for Ruth to trust him, when it comes time for Ruth to lean on him, when it comes time for Ruth to put her dependence on him, she knows that she's depending upon somebody, trusting in somebody that's worthy of that. Nothing worse than trusting or depending on somebody who is not worthy of our trust or dependence. At the same time, we know that Boaz makes a, a clear display of the fact that he is worthy to be trusted. And therefore, when the situation unfolds, when Ruth, be- becomes a, when Ruth belongs to him, she can trust that he's going to do everything in his power to care for her in a right way. And so we see that unfold in chapter number two, so that Ruth will ultimately trust in him. And that's Christ, obviously. It's a picture of Christ and that we're, we're meant to put our dependence in Christ. And the Word of God, uh, especially the Gospels, the four Gospels are a display of Christ's character. You could almost take the four Gospels and capture them in chapter number two of Ruth, describing Boaz, and you see a very... Uh, a very in the Gospels, you see a much more detailed display of the character of Christ than you see in chapter number two of Ruth, but the goal is the same. The goal is that Ruth would trust Boaz and belong to him, and the goal for us is that we would trust Christ, and we would trust him in such a way as that we would give him our life. We would trust him with our life. We would belong to him. And there, there, is, there, isn't a, there isn't a plea in Scripture for us to add Christ to our program. There isn't a plea in Scripture for us to bring Christ along in our system. The plea in Scripture is for us to become a part of, of Christ's life. It is, to, it is to lay down our life, to die to ourselves, and to become one with Christ. This is a system, this is a mindset that is very much foreign to our modern culture and our, and our modern system of functioning. Independence and, and self is kind of the, the uh, focal point of what, what we want today or what the world is pressing us into today. But the opposite is really what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to lay down our lives. If a man will be my disciple, he must, the very first, the very first demand of being a disciple of Christ, if you will be my disciple, you must deny yourself. The first demand of it is to deny yourself, to take up your cross, which is a picture of dying. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow Jesus. 
So belonging to Jesus Christ, chapter number 2 and in, in the Gospels, we see how worthy he is of our trust, how worthy he is of our dependence, how worthy he is of us denying ourselves and becoming one with him. His life is so much better than ours anyway, amen? You see that through the Gospels. We get to understand that. Chapter number three, we enter into, and the, the title of this morning's message is The Plan of Redemption. We begin to see the plan unfold, and we see, we see some truths in the, in the first several verses of Ruth 3 unfolding for us in regards to God's plan of redemption um, working itself out. Redemption, just to give you a few definitions of it before we read our text, Redemption is something being restored to its rightful owner. Uh, it is something that has been lost, and it's being brought back. It's something that has been, um, you ha maybe you've had something. Spurgeon gives a story of a young boy who had uh, spent a number of hours and, and weeks uh, chiseling away with his wood and his woodworking tools to, to make this extraordinary boat. And he, he makes this boat, and every time it rains, he takes that boat outside and he puts it in the water stream, and that he has a string, a string tied to it so that that boat will float down and he can, he can hold on to it so that it doesn't get too far away, and, and he loses it. Well, one day that young boy is out there and he's enjoying the boat that he created and he's letting it go down the stream and that string breaks and that boat floats away and it's gone. And one day that same boy is walking through the town and he notices over in one of the shop store windows is a, is a boat that looks very similar to his boat. He goes into the store and he uh, says to the store owner, he says, he looks over the boat and he says, hey, that's my boat. He says, I, I, that's my boat. I, I want my boat back. And the store owner says, no, that's no longer your boat. That's my boat now. And he says, it will cost you to get that boat back. And the young boy says, how much will it cost? And the store owner says, that will cost you $20. So the young boy runs home, and he gets $20, and he comes back, and he buys that boat back that was already his. It was rightfully his, but he has to pay a price to get it back because it was lost. The same principle is true about us. The Bible says in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. We have all, like that boat, the string between us and God has been broken. God is our creator. He has rightful ownership to us. He is the one who, Genesis chapter number one, he's the one who created us in his image. And that, and, that, and that picture, that string has been broken and we've, we've gone down our own path in our, in our own way and we, found, we find ourselves owned by somebody else now. The Bible teaches us that we find ourselves owned by sin. We find ourselves owned by pride and, and self and, and lust. And we find ourselves owned by all of these self-oriented things, these self-focused things. The Bible says that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to purchase back that which was rightfully his, to buy it back. And what was the price that he had to pay to get us back? It was the price of his own blood. But it was a worthy price. It was a price that was sufficient and significant enough to bring us back to himself. This is what redemption is. Redemption is when we're restored back to our restored back to God. In this passage of Scripture, 
we're going to see Ruth redeemed. And we're going to see the process. And just follow along with me. I'll make a few comments as we walk through the text. And then I want to give you some truths this morning to take home with you. The Bible says in chapter 3 and verse number 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that, I, that it may be well with you? And we see in verse number one that Naomi begins to develop a plan. She begins to have a, a, a process in mind by which she can um, bring rest to Ruth. And rest is a, uh, the term used in the book of Ruth. It's used on a few occasions. Um, actually, Naomi says in chapter number one that, that um, the two, the two um, uh, daughters-in-law might find rest by marrying another Moabite. But, but, but Naomi understands right away that she has a responsibility to Ruth to, to participate in her finding another husband, to her participate in her finding rest, to her, to her responsibility to find Ruth fulfillment and well-being. And let me submit to you this morning that marriage in these times was, was, was pivotal. Belonging to somebody as a woman, belonging to somebody was pivotal for their, for their well-being. Belonging to a man in marriage was pivotal to their fulfillment. Belonging to a man in marriage was, was pivotal to their restfulness. The reason why she was out gleaning in the fields and the reason why Naomi was out gleaning in the fields and laboring outside of the home was because they had no one to care for them so that they could rest. Belonging was so significant to the culture of being married for a woman to find these things. And it's not an accident. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was a result of the fall. This was organized by God so that we would understand the value of being married to Christ is the way in which we find rest. That we would understand that belonging to Christ is where we find fulfillment. Belonging to Christ is where we find our well-being. It's not by being independent. It's by being connected to the right person. It's not by being free. It's by being in bondage to the one who loves and cares for us. It's the one who truly sets us free from bondage to sin and self. It is Christ Jesus. Naomi understands her responsibility and begins to develop a plan. In verse number 2, we see this plan begin to unfold. He says, uh, she says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, and do not make yourself known to the men until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, some things that you want to understand from what she's telling Ruth to do is she's telling Ruth to take off her garments um, that, that would that would reflect on her being connected to widowhood. In other words, she's telling Ruth to disconnect from her past, to put, put the clothing on of a new direction, a new hopefulness, and not a hopelessness, not a helplessness, but to put on these new garments, wash yourself, clean yourself, perfume yourself, not as, you, not as if you are a widow, but as if you are one who is looking for a companion, someone to belong to. 
She tells her, wash yourself, anoint yourself, or as other versions would say, perfume yourself. Make yourself ready. Make yourself ready. Disconnect yourself from those past things and go down to the threshing floor. Prepare, prepare yourself for what is ahead. Verse number four, the Bible says, And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And you know, as the story unfolds, we'll look at it a little bit further, that um, she, was to, she was to uncover his feet. She was to lay down at his feet, which is what she does. He wakes up about midnight, notices a woman at his feet, and, um, and that's where the conversation begins. That's where the, the uh, relationship begins. Lying at his feet was symbolic. It was not purposeless. It was symbolic. To lie at the feet of a, of a, a man like this in this situation was a, a form of saying the desire to belong. Matter of fact, you will see at the end of Ruth when, when, when Boaz purchases the land that's going to be given to him that is also going to include um, Ruth, the Bible says that the one, who, the one who refuses to purchase the land, he takes off his shoe and he gives it to Boaz. He gives him his shoe, picturing that he is taking something that he has the right to, and he's relinquishing that right to that land and that right to Ruth, and he's giving it, he's giving it to Boaz. He's releasing it. Many other times in the Bible you see this idea of, of people's feet, whatever a person walks on, is, and, and I'm not saying that, and don't, don't take that in a wrong way. But whatever a person, whatever that a person's feet is, what belongs to them, it's the idea of belonging. Remember when God told Moses, He said, uh, He said to Moses, um, when He made it into the promise, uh, not Moses. Let me think here. God told Abraham when He got to the promised land, He said to get up and to walk through the land, and wherever His foot, wherever His feet trod, that will be His. That will belong to him. So again, we see the idea of what was under his feet was that which belonged to him. We see in Exodus when, when uh, Moses uh, experiences the Lord in the burning bush, he tells Moses to do what? He says, take off your shoes because the ground that you stand on is my ground, is holy ground. So in, in all of these cases and other places in the Bible as well, you have this picture of that which is related to the feet as being that which belongs to somebody. It's not the idea of, of somebody being a footmat to somebody. It's a picture. It's an illustration. Okay, So that we can understand, in this case, her laying at his feet was, a, uh, was in, in many ways a proposal for her to belong to him. She was saying, I, I desire to belong to you. And it, and it goes further when she actually tells him that she wants to belong to him. So, so it's important to note this is not a, a negative view of Ruth. It's not a belittling view of Ruth or an exalting view of Boaz. It's an it's a, it's a analogy, if you will, of what's taking place here. 
And so we, we want to recognize that as we go through. This is symbolic of Ruth desiring to belong to Boaz. The Bible says in verse number five, and she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now notice something here. This is very unique from the chapter number two, because Ruth would not refer to herself as his servant. Matter of fact, on, a, on two occasions that we see in chapter number two, Ruth says to him, I am not your servant. She implies an unworthiness to be his servant. Uh, obviously, being a Moabite, a Moabite has no place of, of belonging to a Jewish person. So she is, she, in chapter number two, she is very, very focused on the fact that she is unworthy and undeserving. Yet in chapter number three, she says to him, I am Ruth, your servant. She comes to him with a different attitude. She comes to him with a different perspective. And then she says, not only does she say, I am Ruth, your servant, she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a Redeemer. So she asks him, spreading your wings over your servant is another way of saying that would be to spread your garment over me. And again, this was also symbolic of like the hen that, that gathers her chicks under her wings. The Bible refers to, to God as, as gathering his chip, chicks under his wings. That's a, a, a terminology of, of care, a, a, a description of somebody who is under the protection of, that, of, that, uh, of Boaz, in this case, or of the hen who's gathered the chicks, under the protection, the care, the provision of that individual. Ruth says, spread your wings over me. In, in other words, let me belong to you. Let me be a part of your, of your world. Let me be a part of your life. Again, we're, we're pressed, we're pressed to, to see the, the lack of individuality here, the desire to be in somebody else's world and to belong in that world. Not, not seen in a negative light, but seen, seen in a positive light. Seen in a way that was glorious. We also notice about this that she insists on spreading your wings. There's, there's not a question mark at the end of this phrase. There is a period. This is an insistence. Spread your wings over me. She's insisting that he spread her wings over her to protect her, to provide for her. And her insistence, get this, her insistence is not based upon her worthiness, but her insistence on him spreading his wings over her is based upon his character. It's based, it's based completely on what Ruth now knows about Boaz. What we see in chapter number 2 is now the foundation by which Ruth is saying, I'm your servant, spread your wings over me. Over and over again in the text, we also see that the reference to his women that, were, that she, was, she was going with in the fields gleaning. She just like wants to be a part of the group, part of the community, if you will. 
Because why? Why was it so important for her just to, why was it so valuable for her just to belong in the community of Boaz? Because of Boaz's character. It was Boaz that made it a, a great thing to belong to him. And so it is with Christ. It is the same thing. It is his character that makes it so great that we belong to him, that we identify with him, and that, that we identify in him. I mentioned to my wife the other day, we were, we were talking about somebody had recently said, we, when was asked the question of who they were, their response was, I am, I am a, and then they put their career at the end of this. And I told my wife, I said, it's interesting how we all identify. It's not like that's what we do. It's like I do farming, or I do woodwork, or I do this, or I do that. It's, it's become, that's who we are. That's our identity now. I am this. Well, no, we're not this. We are Christians we can say that. That's what we identify. That's, that's where our identity is. We do certain things. Everybody in here does something different. But that's not who you are. Who you are is a Christian. You are a follower of Christ. You have identified with him, become one with him. And it's super, super important, and it's super um, fulfilling and satisfying, or at least it should be. Verse number 10, the Bible says, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness more than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will be for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. You'll notice just really quick here that Ruth that, that Boaz recognizes that even in Ruth's insistence and her proclamation that I am your servant and that being your servant, I am insisting that you put your wings over me in that Boaz sees it as a request. It's a bold request. It's a request that's full of faith and confidence that Boaz would do what he was asked to do. But yet, at the same time, notice, it is a request. He is asking, she is asking Boaz to do these things with full confidence that he will do these things. Verse number 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. I'm not going to get into a lot of explanation of the last few verses. I believe that we'll talk about those a little bit next week with the, with the closer redeemer. There was a closer redeemer, somebody who was closer in relation to, to um, Elimelech that could have redeemed Ruth in this situation, but, but chose not to. And obviously open the door for Boaz to do it. So with this part of the narrative, this part of the story kind of unfolding here, what we see is we see this plan. How, how is this redemption going to take place? What is the process that has to happen for someone to be redeemed? What is the process that, that Ruth is going to have to go through to, to experience redemption? 
We must note that if, as we go through this, and we're practicalizing it now, we must understand in order to get the proper truths out of it, the spiritual truths, that Ruth is a representation of the unbeliever, Naomi is a representation of a restored backslider, and Boaz is a representation of the Redeemer, of Christ. So let's look at three things from this text, from this part of the narrative that will help us understand the process by which somebody is redeemed. First of all, the believer is responsible to lead somebody to redemption. The believer is responsible to lead somebody to redemption. One of the things that you see clearly mentioned in the text is you see that this is, this is completely Naomi's plan. Matter of fact, Ruth is, is mentioned as just simply doing what she's told. Over and over again, you have this emphasis of Ruth just being obedient, not, not as if she had planned with Naomi or sat down with Naomi or they, they, they kind of worked together to develop this plan so that she could go to Boaz and be, and be redeemed. Naomi is the only planner. Naomi is the only one who is orchestrating this process by which she will bring Ruth to redemption. You see, the reality of it is Ruth, as an unbeliever, has no clue what it takes to get to Christ. Ruth, as an unbeliever, has no clue what it takes to be redeemed. She has no clue what it, what it means to be bought back, to be brought from hopelessness to hope, to be brought from helplessness to help. She has no idea. Ruth's, Ruth's attitude and, and the... the um, description of Ruth in this text is she's somebody that's just doing what she's told. She's someone that's just doing what she's directed to do. She's doing something to provide her needs because that's just a natural thing to do. Ruth needed some direction. She needed someone to tell her what to do, where to go, how to do it to get this accomplished. And may I submit to you this morning that lost people need someone to tell them how to get redeemed. They need someone to tell them the gospel. This is the Great Commission. We are commanded in the Great Commission. Literally, we are commanded to do exactly what Naomi does. Go ye into all the world and make disciples. That's what Naomi did with Ruth. And then when Naomi told Ruth what to do, she had a disciple. She directed her to do what she did. Ruth did everything that she said and ends up being redeemed. We have a responsibility as Christians to share the gospel with other people, with other individuals who are lost, because they do not know the way. They do not know what it means to be saved. They do not know what it means to be redeemed. They do not know what it means to be hopeful. They do not know what it means to have purpose. They don't know any of these things, but you do, and I do. Imagine the shame this morning had Naomi spent years with Ruth, found her in her desperation, knew that she needed redemption, became aware of Boaz being the redeemer, but that she never would tell Ruth about this. Can you see that that would be a shameful thing for Ruth to do? Would we look, or Naomi to do? Would we look at Naomi in the right eyes if Naomi knew all of this stuff was going on and just decided, hey, she'll figure it out on her own? 
That would have been a shame for her to know that Ruth is desperate, to know that Ruth is hopeless and, and helpless without a redeemer, and then to know that there's a redeemer who is capable and powerful enough to redeem her, but not to say something? It would be a shameful thing to do. It would be a dishonorable thing to do. It would literally be a hateful thing to do, to know the way to the Redeemer, to know the path to redemption, and to know somebody desperately who desperately needs it and not to do something about it. It would be a hateful thing to do. It would be a shameful thing to do. The reality of it is, though, we do it every day of our lives. We as Christians, we go into Moab every single day, we take a step, whether it be your job, whether it be your school, whether it be whatever you do, you go into the grocery store, you're walking into Moab. The interesting thing is, is you don't have to go into Moab like she did here in the book of Ruth. You live in it. And we walk into Moab every day and we meet people and we befriend people and, we're, and we partake in their lives and we get to know them and we know that they're desperate and we know that they need a Savior. But listen, wouldn't it be a shame to know all of that, to know Christ is the one who can redeem them but refuse to tell them about him? I think there's probably no one in here that can't. I, I think there would probably, I think everybody in here could probably think of somebody right now that's in their world, that's an unbeliever, that needs to know how to be redeemed. That needs to know that there's a redeemer, there's one who will purchase them back at the price of his own blood and bring salvation to them. Maybe we don't see them as being desperate, but they are desperate. Ruth was desperate, and Naomi knew the way. We know people like that. For many of us, we know many people like that. We live in that world. We walk in that world. We befriend people that are lost and praise the Lord for it. Do we care enough about them to tell them the truth? We noted a moment ago Christians are commanded to lead the lost to Christ in Matthew 28, 19-20, the Great Commission. That's our, that's our command. It's not just a command. It's a, it's a privilege. We've been called to do this. We note that unbelievers have no way of knowing the way. Let me, let me read to you out of Romans. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to Romans chapter number 10. Many of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter number 10, in verse number 14, the Bible says, How shall they call on him? Verse 13, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how will they hear without somebody teaching them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How, how will they know the truth unless somebody is sent to them? You say, well, Pastor John, it was, I, I'm not sent to them. Well, how do you know that? God has planted within you His Holy Spirit. He has then planted you in their world. He has then somehow connected you to them. I think that probably you are called to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's probably why that connection is there. How shall they know unless somebody tells them? Do you believe that? 
Recipients of grace are called to be conduits of grace. We are to share with others that which we have received. And let me suggest to you as we close this point out, this is not just lifestyle evangelism. I believe in my heart that, that Ruth did have a confidence in Naomi. I believe that the reason why Ruth decided to commit herself to Naomi, because Naomi displayed for her, I, I know in the end she was a little bit on the bitter side, but obviously for some season there was something in Naomi's life that called, causes Ruth to commit her life to her, to leave her family, to leave her friends, to leave everybody to become a, a committed person to Naomi. Naomi had a character of Christ. Naomi had something that was attractive to Ruth. But listen to me, Ruth still needed to hear the gospel. Ruth still needed to hear that there's a redeemer. There's somebody that doesn't, that's not that you can just follow Naomi around all the time who has experienced redemption. But listen, Ruth, you need redemption. And some of us have a, we're committed to Christ and we are an example and people look to us and say, man, man, you're such an example of kindness and you're such an example of this and that. And they connect ourselves to those things. Listen to me, folks. It is not enough that people connect themselves to your godliness. They need Christ. They need Jesus to redeem them. They need Jesus to deliver them. They need to be saved from their sins. And you're the one that God has stationed, that God has commissioned to bring this about. This truly, my friend, is your purpose for being in this world, is that you might make disciples of other people. It's not so that you'll become a great businessman. Yes, God may make, God may make you a great businessman so that you have a platform to share his gospel. But your purpose here is not to be a great businessman. It's not to be a great teacher. It's not to be great at this or great at that. Your purpose for being here is to be a witness of the gospel of Christ. That's why he has left us here. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And there are people in our world today who have never heard of the gospel, who are desperate for a redeemer but have no way of knowing how to be redeemed. And only if Naomi opens her mouth and says, hey, Here's a plan. And we know that we don't give our own plans, but God gives us a plan. And his plan is clear, and his plan is effective. The responsibility of redemption on those who believe is that we're to tell others about what Christ has done for us. Number two this morning, the requirement for redemption. We see several things in this text that, that, that Ruth is told to do in preparation for meeting Boaz that are directly connected to what we do as we plan to meet our Redeemer, Christ. We see in chapter number one an acknowledgement of our unworthiness. For a person to seek redemption, they first have to understand their need for redemption. They have to see their life as being worthless as being condemned under the condemnation of Almighty God. They have to see that in order to ever forsake it and seek belonging in somebody else. They must acknowledge their unworthiness. And then the second thing that he tells her to do is he tells her to disconnect from her past. Take off those garments of being a widow. Take off those garments of belonging to Malon. Take those things off and, and be new. 
She was to wash and perfume and and change her clothes to, to disconnect from her old identity. She no longer was to identify as a widow. She was no longer to identify as a gleaner in the fields. She was no longer to identify as belonging to another. She was no longer to identify as hopeless. She was entering into this situation, putting all of her past behind her. She was to take off that old self, and not just to take off that old self, but everything that reflected that old self. Some of us have been redeemed by Christ, like like Lazarus, right? Who comes up out of the grave, but... Man, when Lazarus comes up out of the grave, the first thing that's said about him is, take off those dead clothes. Some of us in our Christian life, we've been redeemed, we've been made alive, but, but we're like, let us leave our dead clothes on. Ruth is told by Naomi, take off those clothes that connect you to all of those things. Take off those things that identify you with something that is not true. Wash yourself, cleanse yourself, be made new. She was to take off all of these things. We must remember that no matter how great the Redeemer's power, ability, kindness, forgiveness, gentleness, patience, beauty, protection, and provision, no matter how great the Redeemer is, listen, no matter how great Jesus Christ is, if you're not willing to belong to him, if you're not willing to connect to him, if you're not willing to take off your old life and put on your new life, you'll never experience all of those great things about him. The Bible tells us in Luke 13, unless a man repent, he will perish. Romans chapter number 7, sometime you look it up and you'll see exactly what it said there. The Bible says that you cannot be married to another until your first marriage partner has died. And it's not referring specifically to the marriages of our day. What it's referring to is a spiritual marriage that goes from being married to self and sin to being married to Christ. And he's saying you can't be married to Christ until you're no longer married to self and sin. You have to die to that or that has to die to you. You put that off. And what what she tells Ruth is, Ruth, take off all of those connections. Take all of those things off that reflect on your past life and put on these new things. You're getting ready to be redeemed. You're getting ready to be set free. Something is taking place here. And it's all, Naomi is completely full of faith that it's going to happen. Ruth, maybe not, but she's just doing what she's told. Naomi knows what's getting ready to happen because she's experienced it. Naomi knows what it's like to be connected to the master. She knows what it's like to belong to Jesus. She knows it. She sees it. She's experienced it. And she's excited for it for Ruth. But but Ruth is just doing what she's told. I think God was already doing a work in Ruth's heart. I think there's already life taking place there. Renewal, regeneration, if you will. And it was getting ready to come to fruition with her meeting Boaz and belonging to him and having fulfillment and purpose. Like, listen, the fulfillment and the purpose like we see at the end of the book of Ruth is is so powerful. It literally says it this way, that 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 Ruth to Naomi was better than seven sons. In in other words, what he means is, is that the deliverance, the deliverance that 
that Naomi experienced was a deliverance that was better than, than the thousand sons. Repentance. We come to our Lord in repentance. We come to him empty of ourselves, broken by our sinfulness, broken by our depravity, broken by all of the things that we have done to defame him, broken by our wandering away from him. This is what brings us to him. Listen, nobody comes to Christ lest they see themselves. Nobody comes to Christ rightly unless they see themselves as depraved and sinful before God and needing of a redeemer. And then she comes in faith. Not only is repentance necessary, but she's to come in faith. Faith is acting on the basis of somebody else's character. It's actually boldly acting on the basis of somebody else's character. It is what... It is what Naomi and Ruth knew about Boaz that caused Ruth to go to him for redemption. It was completely based upon Boaz's character and not her character. And may I submit to you that people need to know what Jesus Christ is capable of doing. They need to know Jesus' character. It's going to be Jesus' character that brings them to him, to know of his love to know of his kindness and his forgiveness, to know of his patience and his gentleness, to know of his kindness and his care, to know of his protection and his provision, to know the character of Christ is what's going to draw people to him. But who knows the character of Christ better than us? Right? When we're walking through life, we should be telling people, yes, my life is like this, but it's like this because of Jesus. The faith. She had to come in repentance. She had to come in faith. She had to believe. Faith was going to Boaz, entering into his presence, being willing. Listen, this whole, this whole narrative as we get into it is a little bit, it's a little bit weird, right? It's, there's, some, there's some things in there that you just really have to wrap your mind around like, man, why would she do that? But she was a full of faith that this was going to work. She was full of faith. She was full of understanding that, that Naomi was telling her the truth and she was going to follow through with something that just seemed somewhat odd. But there was faith that she did it. In the same way that there was faith, faith when, when Esther went to Ahasuerus and, 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 and told him what she told him, there was extraordinary faith in that. And when we come to Christ, we have to have extreme faith in Christ. We must know his character. We must know him biblically. We must know him um, faithfully. We must know him in the fullness of his character, which is what gives us the confidence to come to him. Faith is when she went to Boaz. Faith was when she identified herself as a servant. Up until this point, she hadn't, but now she sees herself as a servant of Boaz. That's a faith statement. She's making, a, she's making a statement that is built completely on her belief that Boaz is going to receive her into his, into his world. That's because she knows him now. And that's we know Christ. We know his character. We know his kindness. We know all of these things about him. We can go to him and know, no, I'm not, I'm not just a servant, but I am your son. I am your daughter. It is, a, it is faith that does that. It is faith that sets us free. Faith that delivers us. 
And then the faith is also seen in her insisting on his acceptance, expecting grace and mercy, expecting grace and mercy from the one who loves to show grace and mercy. When do we go to the Lord and plead with him for mercy with extraordinary faith, believing that he loves to show it? He loves to show it. That's what she does here. She goes with this, with this anticipation that he's going to show grace and mercy because it is within his character to do so. The only way that you know that is if you know his character. You must know the character of the Redeemer to go to him with confidence, to go to him and identify as his servant and to go to him and insist on his acceptance in a humble way. John 6, 37, the Bible says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will in no wise cast out. And then Micah 7, and verse 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in showing mercy. He delights in showing mercy. So what is the process the process is acknowledging our, our unworthiness first and foremost, knowing that you need a Redeemer, repenting of, your, repenting of your past life, repenting of your sins, repenting of those things that have put you in the bondage that you're in, repenting of those things. There is no salvation where there is no repentance. There must be repentance. There must be an acknowledgement that your way is the wrong way. There must be an acknowledgement of that. And repentance is not just a, it is a mental thing. It's where you change your mind about a certain situation or a certain thing that leads to a change in your actions. There must be repentance. For, for Naomi, there, for Ruth, there must be repentance. And then faith is coming to him, being willing to identify with him based upon his character and not your own character. The Christian life is based upon hope. It is hoping in the character of God and the sufficiency of Christ. The Bible tells us, lastly, this morning, the request for redemption. Notice that, that Boaz recognizes these as request. It was, he was, she was asking her to be his servant. He was asking, he, she was asking him if she could be his servant, and he was asking, she was asking him if he would accept her, if he would, if he would wrap his wings over her and become her protection, become her provision, become everything to her. Listen, folks, please do not, be, do not be, belittle this concept. This is the gospel. When you become under the protection and provision of another, identified through marriage, it is a good thing, not a bad thing. I fear that we have adopted what the culture says about marriage and about individuality that has distorted us and driven us completely away from what God says about it. We must get back to what is the biblical expression, what does God see in marriage, what did God create marriage for, then we have to manifest it so that others can see it as well, but first we have to believe it. Put me under your wings. There's nothing more. She's, she's seeing herself as a little baby chick, 
under Boaz's protection. There's nothing more dependent than that. But that's the gospel. Be under my wings, people. Be like a little chick who depends upon me for protection and provision and for everything. Because listen to me this morning, folks. Jesus is worthy. He is an amazing one to whom we can belong. But if Satan convinces you this morning that belonging, listen, if our culture convinces you this morning that belonging is evil, they have taken a step in undermining the very gospel that we teach and believe. We must be very careful where we go with these things. Request. Her identity and insistence resulted in a request. She asked, she asked Boaz to do these things for her. She made a request of him. The Bible tells us on several occasions, if we ask anything of the Lord, he will do it. If we ask anything that is in connection to his character, he will do it. We have not because we ask not. All throughout scriptures we are told to ask. We are told to make requests of the Lord, praying. The, the definition of the word pray is to request. It is to make a request of the Lord. We're to come to him and to make requests. She makes a bold request because she knows the character of her Lord. She knows the character of Boaz. We can make bold requests of the Lord, although still request, because we know the bold character of our God. We noticed in, in Romans 10 and verse 13, for anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be, will be saved, right? That's a promise. Anybody who calls out to God, anybody who calls out to Christ for redemption, deliverance, in desperation, the Bible gives us a promise that they will be saved. So what do we do when we, when we see that as a reality? We call out to God. If you read a verse like that and you recognize that you're depraved and you need a redeemer and you don't cry out to him, there's something wrong. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be redeemed, will be saved. That's a promise. So what should we do? Cry out to God. Call out to Him for redemption. Call out to Him for salvation. Not based upon your worthiness. Don't go to Him and say, well, I pray three times a day. I fast, I fast uh, one, month, one week out of the month or one month out of the year. I do all of this, Lord, so please redeem me. No, go to Him in desperation. Go to Him knowing who you are, your unworthiness. It's never built on your character or your worldliness. Or worthiness is always built upon His character. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For whoever asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened unto you. Make requests of our Lord. Ask Him for what we need. Salvation, ultimately, but other things as well. In closing, if you're here with us this morning and you are a believer, you're a follower of Christ, you've experienced redemption, you know Christ as your Savior, you know what it means to be set free from the bondage of sin, listen to me. You have a responsibility and you have a privilege. And that is your job is to share that same message that, that changed your life with other people. It's to share what Christ has done with you, with those around you. That's what the Apostle Paul did. We think of the Apostle Paul as just this great, deep theologian. And sure, he had some depth and theology to them. But the Apostle Paul ultimately went around and shared what Christ did for him. 
You don't have to be a theologian to tell people what Christ did for you. You just got to have a mouth and a testimony. We have a responsibility before God in the same way that Naomi had a testimony before God. How many of you think Naomi would have wanted to stand before God one day if she would have never told Ruth about Boaz? It would be a shame, wouldn't it? If, if Ruth was to spend eternity in damnation and in hell, and, and, and the whole time, and the whole time, her best friend who she committed her life to, Naomi, never told her the answer, but yet had, had it. You think about it this way. If you have a deadly disease, and your best friend has the cure sitting in his cabinet at his house, but says, ah, I don't really want to tell them because I might frustrate them. When they stand before God one day and all of that is exposed, you think they're going to be excited about it? We need to be a people that is sharing the gospel. We have been given the cure for sin through Christ. We are called to share it with others. The Bible tells us that in Proverbs 11 and verse 30, whoever wins souls is wise. And then this morning, if you're with us and you're not a believer, know this, that there is hope. There is a Savior. There is a Redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ. He came into this world 2,000 years ago. He lived 33 years in this world. He lived perfectly without sin. He was the Son of God and still is the Son of God. He came in human form to take upon himself your sins and mine, that he might bear them on a tree and pay fully for those sins. And he has made a promise to us that anyone who will come to him in repentance and faith will experience redemption and salvation. He has made that promise to us. He's made that promise to everybody who will come to him. My challenge to you this morning is, will you come to him? Do you have enough faith in him? Do you have enough, first of all, do you have a recognition of your need for him? Do you know how desperate your situation is? Do you know that your sin is great? and that the condemnation for your sin is even greater? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus Christ is sufficient? That his blood on the cross paid the full price for our sins, and all those who come to him experience his deliverance? Do you know that? My challenge to you this morning is if you know those two things, and the scripture says, cry out to him. Call out to Jesus for deliverance, and he will deliver. He has promised us this. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, the privilege that you've given us to, to um, share others with others a hope for redemption, to share with them what Christ has done for us. We pray that you will bless us today. If there's somebody that's not here, if somebody that's here that's not saved, we pray that you would even be working in their heart right now to realize the gospel to understand it and to experience it in a very personal way, like Ruth does. We pray your blessing upon this, your word. May you use it, Lord God, to change lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.